0: Turn to Romans chapter 15, please. Romans chapter 15. This evening we're going to consider the strong bearing the weak. Romans chapter 15, verses one through to 13. In Romans chapter 14, It has been seen that Christians who are strong in the faith, we saw this last week, Christians who are strong in the faith in that they take full advantage of their liberty to eat whatever they want to without any, without considering any restrictions, they ought not to argue with and despise Christians who are weak because they have various dietary constraints. For example, maybe the weak Needlessly observe the Old Testament con- laws concerning food which may be clean or unclean in the Old Testament times. The, the old, the, the Old Covenant people, the Israelites of old, they were not allowed to eat certain food. And there are weak Christians which may, con- which may observe those same dietary constraints. And then there are some Christians, they may go even further than that, or not necessarily further, but um, they may well avoid eating any meat at all. They're vegetarians. And the reason for it is because they want to avoid eating any meat that comes from an animal that may have been ritually slaughtered, sacrificed to idols. It's not... I don't know, I wouldn't have thought it was particularly likely here on this island, but in certain parts of the world, there's a very strong likelihood that the meat that you eat comes from animals that has been ritually slaughtered. And so the weak Christians would want to avoid that. Instead of arguing with weak Christians about their eating habits and even despising them, the strong are being encouraged by the Apostle Paul to refrain from exercising their Christian liberty to eat whatever they want to, for the sake of unity, it's better for them to eat uh, to abstain from eating certain foods and to abstain from drinking alcoholic drinks when in the company of those who are weak in the faith in order not to offend their conscience. as Paul said in chapter 14, this is all a bit of a recap chapter 14 verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Paul said those words even though he was persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Also it was seen that weak Christians who have various dietary constraints, should not judge those who exercise their liberty to eat whatever they want to. It's not for one Christian to judge another. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As well as abstaining from certain foods, we saw in chapter 14 that weak brethren might esteem certain days above the rest. Days that used to be holy for Israel of old, under the terms of the old covenant, but those holy days of old have now been nailed to the cross. By way of contrast we saw that the strong in faith do not esteem those Old Testament holy days above the other days of the year, except of course the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, which is a fourth commandment and is therefore binding And the the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, the fourth commandment. That is a day that has been set apart for the Lord's people to worship him, the God who is the creator of all things, the God who has delivered them out from bondage to sin. And so we, we ought to see that the Sabbath day rest as a time of refreshing, a time where we can focus on our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and worship him. And that can't be a bad thing, can it? It needs to be remembered that all Christians, whether they are strong or weak in the faith, they belong to Jesus. They are not their own, they have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, Therefore, it is important that all Christians seek to follow after the things that make for peace and not division in the church. And instead of arguing and judging one another over food or whatever, we should seek to esteem others better than ourselves and to have consideration for one another. Having said all that, if the abstinence from certain foods or the esteeming of certain days above the rest is not done for conscience sake, but is done as some kind of religious duty in order to get saved, get justified or in order to to stay saved, if that is the reason why these things are being done, then that is an entirely different matter. People who do this or or who don't do that in order to gain acceptance by God or to remain accepted by God are pursuing a false religion of works and they need to know that it is by grace that we are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not of works. It's to faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that is his be, becoming obedient unto death even the death of the cross and we are not to add our own feeble and sinful works to what Jesus has accomplished in his life and in death coming now to chapter 15 Paul continues to consider the strong and the weak verse 1 and verse 2 he gives an exhortation. And then in verses 3 through to 13, he gives an explanation. First of all, we'll look at Paul's exhortation in verses 1 and 2. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. You might have thought that the exhortation that Paul gives would be aimed at the weak. They're the ones who are not eating certain things. They're the ones who are um, esteeming certain holy days of old above the rest. Surely the exhortation ought to be directed at the weak Christians. But as can be seen, Paul's exhortation is directed not to the weak but towards the strong, to Christians who have no qualms about eating whatever they want to and who consider all days the same, apart from the Sabbath day, of course. Paul was a Jewish convert, which means that as a Jew, he would have no doubt have observed the Old Testament dietary laws and he would have esteemed certain days above the rest, rather like Christians who are weak in the faith. The big difference would have been that as a Jew, Paul would not have had any saving faith, whereas the weak Christians do have a genuine saving faith in Jesus. So that's a big difference. It means all the difference. However, by the grace of God, that was all in the past for Paul. It was before he was saved by the grace of God and as can be seen in verse 1, as a Christian, Paul considered himself to be amongst the strong in the faith. He says it there, we then that are strong, he's including himself in that. And it is to the strong, including himself, he's speaking to himself there, he says, bear the infirmities of the weak. That does not mean bearing the weak, or bearing with the weak rather, or putting up with the weak, What Paul is saying is that the strong are to carry the weak brethren in their infirmities or in their failings, in their weakness. Failings that are the result of them being guided by an uninstructed conscience concerning Christian liberty. We don't just bear with them and put up with them. We bear them if we are the strong Christians. Why does Paul address the strong in the faith? Why does he not simply address the weak and encourage them to man up a little bit or to take a step forward in faith and enjoy the Christian liberty that Christ has given them to eat whatever they want to and to esteem all days the same? If Paul did that, he would be guilty of encouraging the weak to go against their conscience their uninstructed conscience, and he would therefore be encouraging them to sin. Just look at chapter 14 and verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Can you imagine that? If Paul, a strong Christian, or you, if you're a strong Christian, you start lecturing someone who is weak in the faith to eat that meat because there's, you're, you, you, that is what you have every liberty to do as a Christian. And it's troubling them inside. They're not there yet. You're encouraging them to sin, to go against their conscience. So you... You as the strong Christian are actually committing committing sin yourself by encouraging them to go against their conscience and to sin. Can you see why Paul is directing his exhortation to the strong and not to the weak Christians? Paul Paul is exhorting the strong and not the weak because there is no question... Of the strong going against their conscience and falling into sin if they simply refrain from taking advantage of their liberty at certain times. If and when they do that, they are simply being mindful and considerate of others, the weaker Christians. And that is commendable. It is something that you may already do anyway. For example, oftentimes you'll find that when Christians who drink alcohol, are, are out for a meal with teetotaling Christians. What happens? What do you do? If you are someone who enjoys a glass of wine with your meal, but you're with certain Christians who do not drink alcohol, you may drink alcohol anyway, but you may well sip on a fruit juice or a cola for the sake of, the, of those who don't drink alcohol. You don't want to cause offence. And that is despite there being no Bible prohibition on you drinking alcohol. The prohibition is on getting drunk. Not on drinking alcohol, on getting drunk. Drunkenness is a sin. The Bible couldn't be clearer about that. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, drunkards appear in a list of sinners who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe this is your experience, that you enjoy a glass of wine, or dare I say, a glass of beer with your uh, meal, but you nevertheless settle for a fruit drink when you're out with Christians who do not drink alcohol. And that little sacrifice, because it's not a big deal really, that big sacri- that little sacrifice, rather, demonstrates a practical love and a consideration for others. As Paul said elsewhere, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Not just Christians, but thoughtful people generally tend to be mindful of others. You don't have to be a Christian to be mindful of others. Consequently, even the pagans may refrain from lawful activities that others might be uncomfortable with, and they do that as a courtesy to them, because they don't want to offend them. If that's the case, then surely strong Christians ought to take the lead and be mindful of those who are weak in the faith. In verse 2, Paul says, Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. Therefore rather than please ourselves we are to please our neighbour not by arguing with him but by patiently and lovingly bearing him and leading him forward to a greater degree of liberty to a better understanding of the things that uh, the, the weak are still ignorant of. That is in keeping with chapter 14 and verse 10 where Paul said be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and it is pleasing not just to your weak brother but that is pleasing to God that you bear with your brother, your weak brother and that you are kindly affection towards him or her. Now we'll look at Paul's explanation verses 3 through to 13. For even Christ, pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached me fell on me. Does that sound familiar, by the way? I read it earlier in the psalm. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name and again he saith rejoice ye Gentiles with his people and again praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and lord him all ye people and again Isaiah saith There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll have noticed in verses 1 and 2, Paul did not give a command. Can you see a command anywhere there? If he did in verses 1 and 2... If he, if he gave a command, he was giving himself a command as well. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities. There's no command, there's no papal bull or anything like that. He gave them an exhortation in verses 1 and 2. That is so important. We've been seeing a lot of exhortations in verses 14 and 13. And we're seeing more exhortation now from Paul he did not say you must and I must he said we ought to including himself in that statement and now in verses 3 through to 13 Paul does not appeal to the law for his exhortation but he appeals to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can you see a big difference there Old Testament, do this and the appeal is to the law. Here it's an exhortation and the appeal is to the gospel of Christ. Big difference. It's because of an incomplete understanding of the gospel that some Christians are weak in the faith and consequently they are not experiencing the full measure of Christian liberty. It's a gospel liberty. In other words, it has nothing to do with law. As can be seen in verse 3, Paul having just said to the strong that they ought not to please themselves but rather they ought to please their neighbour, he now urges us to consider the Lord Jesus Christ who pleased not himself. Again, that's gospel. It's not the law. Look to Jesus and the example that he leaves us. We are to consider Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the one that we are to look to. In verse 3, there's a quote from Psalm 69 and verse 9. Look at it again there, verse 3. For even Christ, pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee, fell on me. It's prophetic, it points a thousand years ahead to when the Son of God came down from heaven into this dark world of sin and he took upon him the reproaches of wicked men, reproaches that were directed by sinful creatures against the creator God. Jesus endured those reproaches for the sake of his elect whom he has reconciled to God, thereby giving them a hope that reaches up to heaven where he now is. Therefore, the sacrificial love of Christ that we read about in the scriptures, that we meditate on, and that we inwardly digest into our hearts and into our minds, that ought to work patience in the strong And it ought to cause them to be an encouragement to the weaker brethren as they bear their infirmities, as they bear their failings. In verse 8, dropping down to verse 8 there, we see something of the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. We see that condescension of Jesus in that he who laid the foundations of the earth became a servant, a table servant, or a waiter to the Jews, who for the most part received him not. By condescension, I'm talking about Jesus making himself of no reputation in order to fulfill. Old Testament promises of God concerning sending a saviour into the world to be a light to lighten the Gentiles as well as the Jews and to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If Christ humbled himself and became a lowly servant who would ultimately be wounded, bruised and put to death on a wooden cross as the sacrificial lamb of God, we're talking about the incarnate Son of God here becoming, hum, uh, becoming obedient unto the death of the cross. Then surely it behoves the so-called strong in faith to bear the failings of weak Christians and to do so not grudgingly but with joy and with thanksgiving in their hearts. Surely if Jesus, who is the King of glory, bore or carried the reproaches of wicked men, the strong in faith, ought to bear the the, um, the, fail, the failings, the infirmities of their weak brothers and not simply do what pleases themselves. Can you see that when Paul says in verse 1 and 2, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification, he is not beating the strong over the head with the law, which says you must do this and you must not do that. Rather he is appealing to the gospel and to the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered the reproaches of wicked men when he was in the world and when he sacrificially laid down his life for strong and weak alike. Finally if in the context of what we're considering in chapter 14 and 15 you were strong in the faith then give thanks to God as you remember that you would have no saving faith whatsoever. You people strong in the faith you know what your Christian liberty allows you to do and you get on with it You're not troubled by an uninstructed uninstructed conscience or anything like that. But, if it were not for the grace of God, you would have no faith whatsoever. With that in mind, use your faith as an encouragement to others for their edification that they might be built up in their own God-given faith to the end that genuine unity will prevail in the church a church where born-again Christians, strong and weak, strive together with one mind for the faith of the gospel, without disputes, without judging one another, and to God be the glory, now and forever. Amen.